How y'all doing? This is Dr. Mike Williams, a.k.a. Brother Shabazz. Thank you for tuning in to the Egg Cracking the Eggshell podcast. Uh, a couple of my associates who listened to the first episode, they pointed out something, uh, how Brother Shabazz is something that was more of an informal moniker around the way and, you know, putting doctor in front of it not to take away from earning the PhD, but, you know, it made it much less informal. So it will still be Dr. Mike Williams, a.k.a. Brother Shabazz. One and the same, uh, no matter the name. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, just to clarify, I am from the south side of Chicago, right off of 47th and Cottage. And, you know, if you are from the city, it does matter specifically, these little details. So to my South Side guys who checked out and reached out for some feedback, I appreciate that. And I want to just say, uh, Dr. Mike Williams, a.k.a. Brother Shabazz, because Dr. Shabazz doesn't quite roll off the tongue in that same way. So without further ado, in this particular podcast, I think we would talk about something that is near and dear uh, to us at Well-Planned Interventions, and that would be the term of being pedagogically shortchanged. You know, that's actually the cornerstone of what it is that we do, uh, everything that brought the mission to light. To be blunt, to be pedagogically shortchanged, I coined the term uh, from research in which I was doing for my dissertation. It basically means that minority students are indoctrinated into academic institutions which actively encourage them to uh, lower their expectations of self. Uh, You hear things like uh, a guidance counselor telling a student and his uh, parent during a conference that this student should not consider uh, going to college and, you know, flat out saying, you know, you're better suited to a trade. Well, we have to challenge certain ideas. Leadership is not limited to one particular prototype or one particular type of individual. It's been commonplace, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, that race has been such, it's been ingrained in our society to such a point where people don't quite recognize the layers of subordination. Uh, Case in point would be, just in the simple fact, let's look at President Barack Obama. Very qualified, very capable, very competent president, but just based on the uh, the topic of his skin tone, people who are pedagogically shortchanged, they have an immediate problem because the the prototype of leadership that they have in their head is typically of someone who's white, and most of us have this certain type of prototypical. Uh, idea what a leader is. You know, statistics say that someone who is confident, charismatic, and over six feet tall, they have the characteristics to be a leader. But that does not go into actually what it is that makes a good leader. A good leader would be someone who is not only self-aware, but also aware of the needs around them. They would have a certain amount of emotional intelligence. And furthermore, they would have integrity. You know, these are the qualities that inspire. You know, uh, you can force compliance, but you can't inspire. So with that, we have to challenge what it is that we attribute to success. So in the classroom, 
through the research that I've conducted, uh, we found that black males are heavily pedagogically shortchanged. If the expectation of achievement is associated with the white race, uh, it can be very difficult to be in school as a teenager. This is when you will begin to come into your own. You know, your, uh, your self-efficacy begins to start to go through the roof, but then at every given turn, you're told you shouldn't do this or you can only operate within this given space. You know, I think that that can definitely influence the dropout rate. These are factors which disengage students from the uh, learning environment. When we look at a real-world example, there was one particular student during his junior year in high school. Uh, he was, just to give some background about this particular individual, he is a black male and his family is very upwardly progressive. Uh, Two-parent household, dual income, both professionals, older brother and sister, both uh, college graduates. Uh, so this particular candidate or this particular young man, when he was during his junior year, preparing for his ACT exams. With the example before him, there was the expectation that college, you know, is not that far out of the question. And furthermore, graduating college, it seems to be the expectation based on the precedent of his siblings. Nonetheless, this young man in attendance of a mixed race school in the, uh, the greater Chicagoland area. He was in a particular uh, study group. And if I understand correctly, the study group was being held during his lunch period. So, you know, he had to make a choice and his family guided that choice. You can go socialize during lunch or you can prepare for a test that's going to, you know, <clears throat> increase your chances of going to college. As such, he would go to the the uh, ACT prep group during his uh, during his lunch break. Uh, sadly, there was somewhat of a cultural imbalance because he was one actually the only black male within this particular study group. Uh, so that shows a disproportion in the expectations of being pedagogically shortchanged and how it ripples outward. But not to get too far off the point. When this particular young man was given a practice, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when this young man was given a practice exam and he was sitting with his uh, classmates, they were grouped in groups of four, uh, one desk next to the other and two desks directly across. Within this format, when the, uh, the test was graded, the teacher, she accused this particular student of cheating because he scored higher than the uh, the three white boys, the three white kids who were sitting around him. When he began to question the logic as to why he was being singled out for cheating, it became apparent that, to him at least, that it was because of his race. Now, the other students around him, they're picking this up, that the black student did better than us and the teacher assumed that it must be because he cheated. Now, <clears throat> the injury to the insult is on this particular date, uh, the young man indicated that the teacher, the leader of the study group, 
was in fact also a, a professional black woman. So this is a continued demonstration of how this uh, concept of being pedagogically shortchanged is damaging on several levels. It can impact what, uh, look at the case of the, uh, the instructor. If she believed that a black student couldn't outperform the white students, that shows that she has some sense of limitation in her capabilities in comparison to what it is that she's been taught about white America and relation to herself. Now we see the the other students and they see how they got outperformed, but then there must have been some shadiness going on. They go out, they graduate, they go into the workforce and then they have this misconceived notion. Whether they act on it or whether it's just dormant in the back of their mind. At some given point, some stimuli is going to activate this in which there's going to be some sense of threat or some sense of lack of compensation. And the first reaction will be that my black counterpart did it by some illegal means. And this is not the proper mindset that any adult should bring into the workplace. It's very counterproductive and it ultimately can create a culture of loss. And I'm speaking specifically of uh, financial loss because when good employees, <clears throat> when their contributions are overshadowed because of allegations made based on the racial bias of their colleagues or even managers, that's not a culture that's going to be uh, conducive to any type of synergy. But going back to this particular young man and his being pedagogically shortchanged, when he began to question why, he understood that race played a big part in it, but he didn't want the, uh, that question to linger. So he kind of pressed it and asked, was it because I was black? Now the response was the instructor of the ACT prep group had him removed from that environment. He voiced a concern with his parents, uh, and typically we will see this in black families. There is a certain amount of distrust when it comes to academic school systems because they are often seen as an authority. And when authorities interact with blacks, it's typically to minimize what it is that the complaint that's being raised or to flat out marginalize or whitewash what's being communicated. And we will see this in other ways. And with this particular incident, this student was being uh, assertive as to you know, this is something for my future. I didn't cheat. I obviously scored better than all of the three people around me. In fact, he got one of the highest grades, you know, of everyone in the classroom, I believe, second in a group of about 15 students. So his argument was valid. <clears throat> I There's no evidence to say that I cheated. And because I outscored you know, my Caucasian counterparts, you want to bring me down by saying that I did cheat. So he was advocating for himself. The school system in response, they labeled him as being aggressive. And with that, he was banned from any type of school-related ACT prep group. Now, this is very counterproductive. I believe as a organizational psychologist that companies... Uh, schools, there are organizations, and the byproduct of any good organization or in the end, 
any good organization, all they have is their product and their people, you know, their culture and their people. So if the culture is saying that we only believe that some of our students can succeed in one of those uh, requisites of success is race, that signifies a huge red flag that we may have a diverse student body, but we are not inclusive as far as what we believe in our students. Another example of being pedagogically shortchanged comes from a student who was uh, enrolled in a private Catholic school. Now, his uh, family was barely at the poverty line in which his mother was working two jobs just so that she can provide him what, what she deemed to be the best possible education. Now, within his education, it was very clear that the system was not invested in its black population. This was an all-black Catholic school, but the administration was 100% Caucasian, with a couple of minorities peppered into the, into the staff, typically in maintenance roles or working in the cafeteria, but definitely not within an, an, within an administrative nor academic capacity. So, as he was breaking down his experience through our, through our interview, he would say, as a youngster, he was very curious, he was very outgoing, but when he came to being in school within that formal setting, he was a little bit shy, and that's given. But the circumstances which made him much different were how he was received. When he would ask a particular question, the response that the instructor would give was to be one that was shameful. I don't quite understand this. Could you repeat that? Well, why don't you clean the wax out of your little ears so that you can hear me better? I'm sorry, I'm not particularly following this, uh, this question. Could you kind of help make it a little bit clear? And the response would be yelling, vulgar. Why don't you ask one of your mama baby daddies to help you with your homework? Completely offensive that no child should, you know, have to hear within the learning environment. This young man, he developed anxiety just on going to school. And it wasn't that he had a poor relationship with his peers, he had a very poor relationship with his teachers. Now, when he would raise such concerns with his mother, she's exhausted, she's working two jobs, <clears throat> but she believes that, you know, Maybe he's being a little bit rebellious. Maybe he's just, you know, trying to get out of going to school. Maybe he wants to go to public school with most of the peers around. But in either case, when she does reach out to the school, her concerns are, once again, immediately dismissed. This child is labeled as dysfunctional and has learning disabilities. Now, the funny thing with that is when she moved him to a different school district, uh, a more predominantly black school in which they had different expectations and different teachers, he didn't have these labels that were thrust upon them. The so-called need for the IEP, which the private Catholic school had placed on him, suddenly had magically gone away. And this learning disabled young man, ironically, has a, a doctorate in education. So... We see examples of how school systems just immediately dismiss like black boys. They have poor expectations of them and it's unfortunate because they're missing out on 
a tremendous opportunity to positively influence someone who can really go out and make a tremendous impact in our society. So once again, it comes to addressing some of the biases that leadership has, but more so with the, uh, the general culture in which we send our kids to school. I can go on and on about cases of being uh, pedagogically shortchanged. At the mild end, we have students and they just have no expectations. They come to class and they're not challenged. They socialize, they trick off their time, they make jokes, they laugh, and that seems to be acceptable. They get C's on everything and, you know, they graduate. Uh, they go out and then they're just trained to be worker bees. There's no challenge. Where is the, the critical thought? You know, and then on more extreme cases, we have students who are physically abused in schools. We have videos of public school students who are picked up and body slammed. We have kids who are, you know, there was one particular student, uh, he brought, I believe, like uh, $10 worth of marijuana to school and it was found in his locker. This student was suspended, subsequently arrested, and then wound up being kicked out of school. You know, those were three big red stripes. As a 16-year-old for $10 worth of marijuana. Now, this same school, as a non-black student, he brought in uh, what was deemed to be a bomb. Other students were, I believe, working, uh, uh, participating in extracurricular activities, and this occurred, like, after hours. But it was on the news in which the school had to be evacuated. Uh, the bomb was found. The students stated that it was for a science project. And he wound up getting a, I believe, a three-day suspension for something which not only could have caused, you know, property damage, but the loss of multiple lives. There was no criminal intervention. There was no real consequence. But when we look at the black student and we see how harshly he was punished, you know, he has a criminal charge on his record at the age of 16 for $10 worth of cannabis, which was a harm to no one. So school systems, they don't understand the impact of what it is that they do. We, we say and we want to believe that we have a post-racial society, but we don't. Another case in point would be how when Colin Kaepernick called out, uh, you know, social injustice by taking a knee. You see student athletes at the high school level kind of reflect this during basketball games. And the response to administration was any student who is any student athlete who was kneeling will be kicked off a team and, you know, not allowed to participate in social functions. These are more forms of control. And it's unacceptable for, you know, school systems to treat minority students in such a way. But I understand why they do it, and I hate to say it, but I have to call a spade a spade, not to be, no pun intended. But all of this is done in institutional racism. And the school system, academia, 
It is a system and it is one of the branches of institutional racism. At well-planned interventions, we believe that education is the gateway to social mobility. As such, it is our duty to call out academic racism whenever it is confronted. Now, those are some real-life cases and some real-life examples. When I think about the, the harshest, the most extreme, just the most blatant slap in the face of being pedagogically shortchanged, I think of uh, how poverty, race, and gender all collide just to form a web of deceit and treachery just hell-bent on keeping an individual down. Now, there's an area on the south side of Chicago known as Inglewood, which has unfortunately become infamous for nothing that is good. And that's a damn shame because Inglewood produces a lot of very talented people, a lot of compassionate uh, individuals and residents. But the media tends to only highlight the negative about black life, and this is part of being marginalized and it contributes to being pedagogically shortchanged. Now, with this particular young man, <clears throat> in his own words, he was in like abhorrent, you know, poverty growing up. He was dirty, he was smelly, he was truant. You know, when he did go to school, he was bullied. The school didn't intervene. He was teased school didn't intervene. He was picked on. He had no friends. So he just became so truant to the point where, you know, from third to seventh grade, he would miss maybe two or three months of school, uh, you know, on average. Uh, when his eighth grade year rolled around, he started to fight back, you know, not academically, but more so fight back physically. And and being pedagogically shortchanged in what we expect from ourselves, he became accepted amongst his peer group, you know, not teased or taunted for being smellier anymore, but friendships and alliances. This particular young man, when he graduated from eighth grade, his biggest lesson that he learned was, if I fight, people leave me alone. And life became a little bit more tolerable. But in high school, there was always somebody bigger and badder. Now, his truancy, it just kind of went out of control so bad that his parents, his family had no idea that he was being truant until the end of his sophomore year. By which point, during two years of school, he had attended 30 days over two academic years. There was no intervention. The school never reached out to the family. There was no homeschool link. There was no communication. This young man, he wound up being transferred to an alternative school. Uh, with no formal transportation, he had to, so the, just to put it in context, he wasn't attending school, you know, the homeschool close to his house, and that was maybe a 15-minute walk. But now he has to go to an alternative school that takes him pretty much 90 minutes to get there on public transportation. The only reason that he, you know, attended school or started to attend more consistently was his mother intervened. She appealed to his sense of uh, desire and, you know, she had to bribe him. 
in addition to paying the uh, the tuition for the the alternative school. So you know the free school you didn't go. So we're going to send you out of your way to an alternative school where you have to pay a tuition. Now to add injury to insult, and there is plenty of it with this particular case. This young man's school day and I remember it was significantly abbreviated. Uh, to the point where, you know, he would start the day at 9.30 and be done by 12. So by the time when any average high schooler or, or even daycare student is going to lunch, his school day is ended. And that day would have consisted of uh, language arts, mathematics, some type of science, uh, typically a biology class, and I believe a few other social classes, uh, social sciences. That... <clears throat> It was in no way uh, a rigorous education by any standards. Within that framework, he also noted that the uh, the classes were very crowded, and there also seemed to be uh, a lack of what's the word classroom management. He described it as basic chaos. Nonetheless, he stuck it out and without ever repeating a grade, without ever having to, you know, demonstrate any type of academic competence, he graduated from high school. Now, to this young man's credit, he took a job as a janitor and was gainfully employed for 10 years. And true to his story, his, one of his sisters, she wasn't putting him down about being a janitor because it was paying the bills in addition to odd jobs, but it wasn't nowhere near his potential. This young man, his sister stated, and I quote, do you think daddy worked so hard for you to clean up white people's shit? After pondering on this, this high school graduate of 10 years decides that he wants to enroll in college. He submits his transcripts, and he begins filling out applications. The response that he got was uh, a gut punch nonetheless. The response indicated that the school that he went to was not accredited by any board of education and that his his diploma was fraudulent. Before he could attend uh, any college, he would have to go back and get his GED his general equivalency diploma. He was upset and he sulked around, but he eventually decided to take the test and after about, you know, six months or so, I believe he got that diploma. With that, you would think that, you know, things were good and he eventually decided to press forward and continue on and actually enroll in college. But he was so pedagogically shortchanged, his academics were so far behind that it took him uh, an additional two years of prerequisite work with no college for no college credit before he could actually take one college level class. But he did. He maintained it. He demonstrated that fortitude, that resilience, that emotional intelligence that you would expect from a good leader. 
these are traits that he learned himself and he had to actually go through a little bit of counseling, some self-efficacy training and, you know, general tutoring with the help of uh, a social service agency from, you know, the south side of Chicago in order to bridge the gap to get where he needed to be. And he continued to work here and there as a janitor, but over the course of six years, he finally got his uh, bachelor's degree. With that, he was somewhat still pedagogically shortchanged. He found it difficult to get a job. Now, when he just had the no experience and was a black candidate or only seen as a black candidate, doors were readily open for him to be a janitor. Now, as someone who wants to be a little bit more blue collar, to have a little bit more autonomy and a more positive impact on society, he was met with resistance. You know, two years after getting his bachelor's degree was the length of time it took for him to secure gainful employment. And even at that point, we see how being pedagogically shortchanged continues to force the gears against uh, black men and minorities in general. Within this particular context, this young man, he decided that he would like to work on his master's degree. Uh, you know, after getting employment and after being unemployed for two years, three months on the job as a professional, he sees that his potential is somewhat limited and he wants to move further. And talking about this with some of his colleagues, you know, his supervisor gets wind of it. And to be 100% blunt, his supervisor was a white female and she approached him and stated, you know, I hear you're going to get your master's. Let me discourage you. She didn't say, let me discourage you. That is my own addition. But the first response was, the company is not going to pay for that. Okay, I didn't expect it to. I'm good on my student loans. I can move forward with this. Uh, <clears throat> well, we don't think it's a good idea for you to go back and get your bachelor's degree. And he was a little bit confused. What do you... He didn't entertain it, but she continued on. Well... We just don't want you to get into a lot of debt. By this point, he's starting to just get upset. And the icing on the cake for her was, she stated, you know, when you, even if you get your master's degree, the company is not going to pay you anymore. And, you know, you're still going to have to work for me. So we see in her, in her actions that at some point down the line, she, was being, she has been pedagogically shortchanged to think that either black Americans can't think for themselves or in the workplace, she has control over the lives of black Americans. And this isn't just something that's isolated to her. It's an extension of basically the peonage laws uh, informally from the old school 1900s. It, but ultimately, it limits his autonomy, it limits his freedom, and it's generally taking control away from his life. And why? Because she doesn't think that uh, an advanced degree is a, a suitable you know, success trait for a black male because in being pedagogically shortchanged, you have to limit the potential of those who you are keeping down or oppressing. Now, this situation... Is unfortunate, but it's 
far too common, especially in large urban areas or in general where <clears throat> a large number of black students particularly congregate. In order for us to begin to start to move past this, we need to call out these situations of racism and these microaggressions, and we need to implement solutions. You know, one solution for any one of these particular cases is to first and foremost assess the culture of the classroom. Are we ensuring that we are sending a message that all of our students are capable of, of success? Furthermore, are we walking in that walk to make sure that we are giving the best possible product that we can instead of only giving, you know, what it is that we think the students are capable of? When we, re when we remove our personal expectations as professionals and we look at students through their eyes, we see unlimited potential that is not bound by race. We see potential that is not capped by gender. So why are we standing in our own way? Well, well-planned interventions in this podcast and a general network of uh, inclusion specialists are here to help lift that veil. If you would like to learn more about this, you know, you can check out uh, well-planned interventions at WPI.com. But most importantly, you can continue to like and follow the Eggshell Podcast. This has been, you know, a great experience for me. Uh, I don't want to check out before giving more solutions. Executive coaching is a great tool to kind of come in and help administrators on a one-to-one -one basis identify their own personal biases and then to develop actual, you know, action plans to align them with the organizational culture. I believe in uh, change management and one of the projects that I'm working on will be change management for social change. In that process, I'm going to continue to highlight the role that race has been playing in our expectations of success and how we can begin to move past them. We should be in, especially in the classroom, uh, we want our students to be engaged so that they can be productive members of society who, you know, are not threatened by the success of their neighbor, but actually applaud that success, but more so don't feel, you know, threatened by it because we all are capable some are just capable a little bit more differently, but race is not one of those differences which should limit any human's capacity. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Cracking the Eggshell podcast. This is Dr. Mike Williams, a.k.a. Brother Shabazz. Y'all be cool.